Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the program. We are live from Blast Off Productions, I think. Here in New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, you might think the histor- that historic co-ops would have a hard time competing with the ultra-luxury condos. The buyers should take note, though, these older build- there are older buildings out there with an advantage over high-end condos when it comes to retaining their status and value according to a new report. Everyone thinks, how can this be? Well, I will tell you why, and you may not believe it. Also at this hour, with home sales remaining flat and buyer demand still strong, some sellers may be tempted to try and sell their homes on their own without using the services of a real estate professional. We will discuss what the seller has to do, who they need to interact with, and why this strategy is a giant mistake. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, standing north of Columbia University at 543 West 122nd Street behind the Jewish Theological Seminary, is the new residential tower dubbed Vander Water. Located in Morningside Heights, the new 385-foot-tall building will come with over 300,000 square feet of space and 183 condominiums spread over 33 floors. Savannah is the project's developer, while Halstead Property Development Marketing is handling uh, the sales. Inside, there will be 24,000 square feet of amenities. Online shopping is designed to make life easier, except for buildings and their staff. Call it a game of logistics. Property owners are grappling to adapt to a deluge of tenant packages from the likes of Amazon, Blue Apron, etc., which have rendered traditional uh, building uh, apartment building package rooms desperately inadequate. In some instances, that simply means renovating or expanding package rooms to support a bigger hall. In others, where expansion is not a possibility, it means finding smart ways to quickly turn over packages and avoid backlogs. Both options come at an expense and not sure how quickly this will be remedied, if at all. Out in the Hamptons, east end of Long Island here on the east coast, uh, the market seems poised to finish the year strong, though to what degree is up for debate. A local agent said this is the busiest it's been in this late in the season, and there is definitely some type of a surge going on. The uptick comes on the heels of a shaky third quarter, where the medium sale price rose 8.4%, uh, year over year, while the number of sales fell 13.3%, according to Douglas Elliman's latest report, luxury inventory was at a seven-year high, and the report's author, real estate, said the uh, report's author, uh, real estate appraiser, Jonathan Miller. Douglas Elliman's chief, Howard Lorber, has just sold a second co-op at the Sherry Netherland for $11 million. Property records show the brokerage chief, who for several years lived on the 17th floor uploaded a 30th floor tower unit in a deal brokered by his son, Michael Lorber, also of Douglas Elliman. The buyer was listed as Park Suite Hotel, Inc., according to the deed. The full floor unit uh, measures roughly 2,500 square feet with two bedrooms, a library, media room, and 30-foot uh, long dining room. Lorber listed it for $12.5 million in July. He purchased that apartment for $8.9 million last year, and he said that after renovating it, he lived there briefly for two months at the most, moving uh, later to a 67th floor condo at 432 Park Avenue. Uh, new development is a fleeting business, and with some of its toughest competition having a head start on sales and marketing by decades, it's not even a fair fight. A street-easy comparison of Manhattan's largest closings, mainly condos in 2005 and then again in 2017, reveals that resales in landmark-designated buildings consistently nab deals that qualify as the borough's top 10%, while new developments are one-hit wonders that slip from the upper tier in short order. Although new development dominates the top 10% of Manhattan's closings any year, the new buildings defined as two years or less are quickly replaced by even newer projects. Meanwhile, the same historic buildings, which were home to nearly half of the biggest closings in 2005, continue to trade in the top echelon of the market 12 years later. This again, according to StreetEasy. Wealthy buyers all want to own a piece of New York history, and there I rest my case as I carry on every week about new versus old. It is what it is, and we're going to get more into that as we go on. I have a couple of guests here today. First is Richard Grossman with more than three decades of real estate experience in New York City. Richard is well known for his innovative, effective, and strategic leadership in residential marketplace. 
Uh, he is president of Halstead, and in addition, he also handles the day-to-day operations of running Halstead's Village and Soho offices, which I am happily a part of. Richard has guested with us many times in the past, and today we will get a market update from him and also his opinions on the Amazon invasion of Long Island City and its effect on the rest of the city. Also with us today is Lisa Lipman. Good morning. You just came here. I <laughs> just got here. With over 21 years of experience consistently as one of Manhattan's and the nation's top producing real estate professionals, Lisa specializes in helping a discerning clientele buy and sell high-end cooperatives, condominiums, and townhouses throughout Manhattan. She works at Brown Harris Stevens Real Estate here in New York. In addition to her exceptional real estate business, Lisa has actively worked with developers and sponsors in successfully launching, uh, marketing, and selling out the most exciting new developments and conversion projects. She is a multiple award-winning agent and is regarded as such. Prior to becoming a real estate broker, and this was news to me, they say you learn something every day. Lisa spent several years as a lawyer practicing litigation at two prestigious law firms. She graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1986. Uh, Where am I? And earned her law degree from Cardozo in 1990. Lisa's legal background affords her a keen understanding of the negotiation process as well as the complexities often encountered towards completing a deal. Complexities? No, that never exist in this business. And don't ever get into an argument with her. No. (laughs) She's wonderful. We're happy to have her. And Wheezy, Louise Phillips Forbes, is making her triumphant return to Good Morning New York after a couple of week absence. So welcome back to you. All right. Anyway, let's get right to it. Richard, can you give us a quick market update and, and projection of business for, you know, the remainder of this year and where we're going next year? As I'm going to sum it up in, in, in one sort of phrase. The buyers want next year's prices and the sellers want last year's prices. Uh, isn't that a fact? And I think what we're seeing right now is, I think what we're seeing right now is an adjustment in the marketplace. I think as interest rates have gone higher, I think that's made an affordability issue for a lot of buyers. There's also the big question for a lot of people until they file their 2018 tax returns about what effects surprise, the, ta- surprise. the tax uh, uh, law changes will affect on them in terms of home ownership and so forth. That's put a little bit of a pause on the market. However, I do think that what we're seeing is that sellers are seeing the realities of, of, of the landscape right now and are adjusting prices, the smart ones anyway, are adjusting prices accordingly. And I think buyers who are smart are coming into the marketplace. You know, on many properties, we've seen adjustments over the last 12, 24 months of, of 5 to 20%, depending upon where the property is. And I think buyers are coming in and taking advantage of that. Realistically, I don't think we're going to see substantially more reductions in, in, in numbers, but it, we may see a little bit. But I think the opportunity for buyers is they have choices. There's opportunity, There's great properties out there. And the smart ones are pulling the trigger. And we're seeing an uptick of activity right now with buyers that see that. The sellers are not necessarily getting what they want. But the same token, if they're, if they're in the position of selling to buy, when they're going out there to buy their next apartment, they're going to do well in that as well. Yeah, I, as I said to you before we started the show this morning, <clears throat> out of nowhere, and usually this time of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, things tend to slow down. It's holiday already. We're getting into more holidays coming up at the end of December. I've got three buyer deals ready to go, all out of nowhere in the last three or four days. So, you know, it, just last week we were complaining about, oh, my God, what's happening? You know, people are still kind of snoozing. This is how, you know, we want to call these marketplaces cyclical. I don't even know what that means anymore. It's just when they're ready, they're ready, and we're happy to be here and let them go at it. So uh, what then is your reaction to the Amazon, you know, invasion, as I'm calling it, in Long sure. Island City? And and will that affect other areas of New York City, Manhattan being one of them? I think, first of all, I think it's great for the city. And I think Amazon is one of two stories. There's Amazon, which is project, projected to bring over a period of time 25,000 jobs to Long Island City. But obviously, that not all people are going to live in Long Island City, so that's going to help our general marketplace, Overflow. you know, mm-hmm. in, in the area. We don't have the employment in New York, the unemployment in New York, to absorb those twenty-five thousand jobs. So we are going to see people coming in from other areas, and they're fairly well-paying jobs. They think the average is about one hundred, one hundred and fifty thousand a year for for those jobs. And those, that, of course, is higher levels and lower levels with that. But the second thing too is that Google is taking a million square feet of space on the west side in in the St. John's Piers. And I think that's going to be about seven or 8,000 additional jobs. And I think what this does for us as a city is counterbalance what a lot of economists were saying at the end of last year, beginning of, of, of this year, which was that the tax reform was going to hurt cities like New York City and that the jobs would leave New York and go to less expensive, less tax states. But what we're seeing is the people that they want to hire, the talent – 
that they want to hire, that's the creative people, the people that are going to help them further their business, they want to be in places like New York City. And that's that this what it says to me cements New York's future that this is the place where creative, interesting, successful people want to be. And, and, and that will help bring more jobs here because it's sort of a growing effect. One people will come, others will come as well. So I think this is a very, very, very positive thing for our future as, as a general rule. All right, we have to leave it there and take, take a break. More with Richard and the, and the rest of the cast after this. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Back with Richard Grossman, president of Halstead uh, Real Estate. And also with us today is Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Lisa Lippman from Brown Harris, as I said earlier, Matthew Cohen from CORE, Louise Phillips Ford from Halstead, Phil Horrigan FreelyLeaseBreak.com and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, uh, so just getting back quickly to the to the Amazon um, invasion or whatever. What does it mean today for sellers? Okay, because sellers, I'm already hearing this from a lot of my sellers who are not in Long Island City, who are in Manhattan proper, maybe also in other areas of Queens and Brooklyn, saying, "Hey, so now Amazon is coming to town." You know, the prices of apartments are going up. There was one instance we talked about last week on the show where there's a development out in Long Island City that's already pulled off a bunch of their apartments, put them back, raised prices, and then put them back on the market. So sellers here in Manhattan are expecting that they can now ask for I th- I think a it, premium because of this invasion. I is think, this correct? I think it's too early, personally. What we're seeing in the marketplace today is, yes, in Long Island City, we're seeing an uptick in traffic. We're seeing a lot of activity. Most of that is for people who are investors, speculators who are coming in looking for opportunity. But keep in mind that Long Island City is mostly a rental market. So with anything that a speculator will be buying to rent out, they're going to be competing with full rental buildings. It's something to keep in mind. But I don't think this is a silver bullet for our marketplace. And I think the fundamental changes we're seeing in our marketplace are, are, are attributed to just the changing of economy a little bit, rising interest rates, and the unknown of the tax reform, exactly how that will affect people. I think those things are the reasons why our market has stalled a bit this past year and why prices have reset. At the end of the day, and we've talked about this in, in previous previous times, is the rising interest rates. For every one point of rise in interest rates, it correlates to about a 10% more cost of ownership if you're Love financing analogy, 75 or 80% of your purchase yeah. price. It doesn't necessarily mean that prices will come down at you know, 10%, but that's the pressure we're seeing in the marketplace as interest rates rise. And we've seen it. We've seen it across the board where more negotiability that owners have had. We've seen buyers who have sort of pulled back a little bit. But when prices get adjusted, and I think that I'm going to ask the rest of my panel here, when you see prices adjustment, for the most part, for good properties, they put it into a range, the buyers will come there, and often sometimes we'll see bidding up of properties. We, we see the buyers, the demand is there, they're just looking for a different 
thing of prices, which is an interesting idea for us. Usually we think the demand will drive prices up. We're not seeing this that time. We're seeing demand, but we're see- they, they want it under their, their, their own terms. There's an efficiency in the market. An, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the buying power as it shifts, you know, I think you're going to start to see bankers come out of the out of the woodwork with creative tools to buy down rates and, and using negotiability. I already have sponsors being asked, okay, I'll pay the city and state transfer tax, but I want you to buy down my mortgage rate. So creative negotiations are going to be the name of the game. And it, go, and it all goes to affordability for the buyer. Absolutely. Agreed. And I think, sellers, we just put we're putting up a listing today, actually. Um, and my business partner, who you know, was uh, really kind of negotiating with the seller for for a while to get the price, a selling price, asking price, to where it should be. And when I heard what the price was going to be yesterday, I said to Shane, I said, "Listen, that's a damn good price." So, will it sell? I think so. We're probably fifty thousand dollars under where that building used to get for for one bed just six, seven, eight, nine months ago. So, you know, sellers are starting to kind of understand, look, I'm not going to be able to ask this because I'm going to sit on the market for nine months and then I may or may not get my price. So here we are starting where we should. Maybe there's a little more compromise or room for, for you know, something. But I think we're at a very, very good starting point And let's see where it goes. I didn't agree with the time of the year that we should be listing an apartment at the moment. But, but let's see what happens. Yeah, but, but, but if you, I mean, Quite frankly, I am rushing to list everything that I can because as interest well, they, rates go up, your buying power is going to shift. Yeah. So if if you're trading up in this market, it is a call to action on every front. If you are, if you are a one-bedroom buyer also and you're a first-time buyer, as they tick up 50 basis points, your ability to purchase and own is starting to shift. Across the nation, you have... 40 cities that it is cheaper to own than it is to rent. And that is going to change very quickly. And I think lastly, what I'll say to, to the first time buyers is they're like, well, if I wait then, and just rent for another year, then the prices will be down, but your buying power will shift. And as interest rates rise, just like the relationship to the stock market and the bond market, rental market's going to increase. But I think what Richard said about the market, you know, sellers wanting last year's prices and buyers wanting next year's prices is a really good way of looking at the market because I just had the same exact conversation with two different buyers of mine yesterday, which was, you know, you want to make a move in a market where people still don't know what it is. People still don't know, is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? It's still somewhere in between because once it's officially a buyer's market, everyone's out of the woodworks and you have tons of competition. And and that's where you're going to have your issues getting the good quote unquote deal you want. But to your point on interest rates, I mean, I held off putting three listings on until January because when the news about the Fed came out that they were holding off. So I don't know. I think it all depends. I actually think that it's I think that it's been a buyer's market for a while and I think that the media is always really far behind. Um, you know, I've been feeling that it's become a buyer's market almost a year or a year and a half ago and you know, they're just starting to talk about the housing um, market declining in the rest of the country and I think that that means that we're getting ready to hit bottom and start coming back up because we are always ahead of the game. Um, I find that the media, that, the media is always at least six months behind. Even in this city, they report that, you know, the market's at the at the peak and the prices are at the peak. And I'm like thinking, mm, I don't really think that anymore. And now they're starting to really talk about how things are slowing down. Well, it's been slow for a while. What I'm seeing is in the last month or two is where prices are good, buyers are really starting to buy. And usually that means that you're about to hit the bottom and you're going to start coming back up because the new stuff that comes on the market at reasonable prices is getting scooped up very quickly. The old stuff that got reduced is sometimes still lingering because people are so focused on days on market, but the new stuff is getting picked up. And I really, I mean, maybe I'm too much of an optimist. I actually think the spring is going to be good because if the interest rates don't go way up, which they may not because the rest of the country could be headed for a bit of a recession, so they're not going to raise the interest rates. Um, I think that we're going to do fine because I think, again, the new sellers are going to bring things on at reasonable prices. Buyers are going to see that it feels reasonable. I agree with and that. And they're going to scoop it up because, you know, historically, we still have really low interest 
rates. Um, and people really want to live in New York. You know, every time somebody says to me, oh, well, I can move to Memphis and do the same thing. There's so few jobs that really you can move to Memphis and do the same thing. I mean, most people live here in New York because they want to live here in New York. I mean, I totally agree with you. I have a buyer right now who, you know, usually our psychologies, we send buyers to things that are newest on the market. <clears throat> they just want to see the oldest stuff. They don't want to see stuff that's 30 days, 60 yeah, days. Love it. They want to see stuff that's two years, three years on the market. Mm -hmm. They want to see stuff where people are so basically underwater with their carrying costs that they're going to sell at a discount of 25 or 35. Steal it. Steal yeah, it. They want to see things that are permanently or temporarily off the market within the last 60 days. That's the new buyer who knows that fear is going to do a lot of deals in like the next I don't know, six months, because no one knows where the bottom is, and that's what it is. That's why people are dumping now. They don't want to be worse. But I also think that it's, our, it's part of our responsibility is to lead with confidence and clarity. And it's why I don't ever take on a listing after just having a conversation. I'm like, as per our conversation, you know, based on these comps, boom, 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 we need to ask, and I expect offers to be. And I, you know, for example, my sponsor at 498 West End Avenue, we listed a $15 million penthouse, and he wanted me to come up another $2 million. And I was like, no, we have a contract out in like 20 days. But these are the new sellers we're talking about, not the old sellers. We still have well priced right. one last round, I think, of exclusives that we have to get rid of, which is the exclusives from September this year, the people who listed after summertime. And once that hits the spring and they expire, I think next year we're going to be looking really, really good for realistic sellers. I'm going, to throw, I'm going to throw out some other things, too. You, you know, first of all, you know, buying, this is a great time to buy. There's a lot of opportunity, as, as, as my panelists have been saying. There's also more choice in the market today. Think about where we were three or four years ago where the buyers out there, they were buying anything because they didn't, they didn't buy that. They didn't have any choices for something else. But I'm going to go for a sort of a third lifestyle thing. If you can buy a really great place to live, and this is where you want to live, why are you postponing buying five years or three years or at some point in the future? Don't you want to enjoy it for the next three or five years? And that's a mentality that maybe isn't your first time buyer, but it certainly is people are trading up. If you need a larger apartment, if you need a, if you need a place that you finally are making the sort of income that you, you have to buy the home that you want to buy, you're not going to postpone that. You're not going to postpone that joy until you're 45 or 55. You want to enjoy it while you can. On that, on that point, in this kind of market, I always make the point to, to buyers that this is the time when you want to upgrade to a larger apartment. Absolutely. If, if That's the what Louise was saying before. Exactly. If you're trading if, up, go ahead. If the market's down 10%, you know, 10% on your, on your one bedroom that you're selling, okay, but now you're buying Absolutely. a two bedroom that's down Absolutely. 2%. Um, so it just, you know, once you start putting that's buyers in that mindset, I mean, I've gotten a lot of buyers over the hump. When it's, it's, it's a perspective also yeah. how you choose to Absolutely. look at it. It's like, look... It's not easy to own in New York City. You have to want to own. And you don't, definitely, you don't have to sell and you don't have to buy. But it is going to be historically the greatest opportunity for building wealth. Matthew Cohen, so the reason you are putting um, listings off till January, is this because your sellers are waiting for tomorrow's market and pricing? Or did you advise them that it's because they probably would be better off uh, waiting post-holiday? They're definitely not hoping for better pricing. Um, if that was the case, I would have let them go to another broker. Um, you know, I, I think Luis makes a really good point. A lot of brokers these days are trying to get things on the market. I don't disagree with that, you know, that strategy because the market is doing really well. I mean, it's hopped back up the last few weeks and why not get it while you still can and before Christmas really hits. And, you know, I agree with you that between Thanksgiving and New Year's is historically slow, but, you know, in the last one or two years, you know, it's been different. But at the same time, I always think that once, you know, the 22nd hits um, or the 22nd, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the 22nd is the Saturday before Christmas. 22nd to New Year's is still pretty slow. So I feel that, you know, instead of having two weeks to kind of sell an apartment, you know, why not rush it and put it on two weeks after January 1st? God, but those are the good old days. Two weeks to sell an apartment. Oh, you <laughs> should get those days back again. <clears throat> Wish it on us, please. <laughs> Anybody else agree with that? I mean, I, I, think I, I agree, Ashley. I, th I think it's a risk. I mean, you can do it now. I understand the reason why you'd want to do it now. But, I mean, just seeing... 
we know that right now an apartment stays on the market a little longer. It's going to struggle. So what you ideally want to do is put it on when you're going to have the, the best bang for your buck. If you put it on now and you don't sell it in those two weeks, for sure it's going to be on another two weeks. So right there, you're a month on the market. So that's why it's it's a tough decision. I understand why you may want to do it, but it's it's, it's a risk there. It's a big I risk. Think, well, I think, I think the efficiency of the market, particularly from $4 million and down, is if you're priced properly, people are going to they're going to pull the trigger. I mean, I've seen, I've had 10 offers on an apartment. All right, we, I don't, we have to leave it there, mm-hmm. take a break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be back on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're here with Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Lisa Lippman from Brown Harris Stevens, Matthew Cohen from Core, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead, Phil Horrigan from Freely and Leasebreak.com, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Richard Grossman is with us as well from Halstead. So let's get right at it. You might think that historic co ops would have a hard time competing with the ultra luxury condos out there, but buyers should take note. These older buildings have the advantage over high-end condos when it comes to retaining their status value, according to a new report. StreetEasy looked at the top 10% of the market in Manhattan and found that historic buildings like the San Remo, for example, the Dakota, for example, uh, are much more likely to retain their place in the top tier over time compared to new condos, which face competition from taller, shinier, and newer glass towers. New developments, those built more than two years ago, typically make up the largest portion of the ultra-luxury market, right, because of the price point. However, their research finds that newer units, even some of the most expensive on the market when built, tend to lose their value in the ultra-luxury tier over time, even as newer, larger, more amenity-rich buildings come onto market and compete with them. So, for example, when you start out with a new new development client, okay, I want only new development, I want a brand new condo, I want to be the first person to live in my apartment. Well, so there's a lot of places you can take them to see. So when maybe some of that doesn't work out and you take them to the second tier, which is around for two years, three years, four years, may still have a tax abatement, may not, in their mind, it's not brand new, okay? So... There's kind of like a, a, a gray area between brand glitzy new and old pre-war, you know, history, blah, blah. So in the middle, there's some, sometimes a struggle. Now, I have said for years, my personal bias, give me a pre-war, gorgeous, you know, old building anytime, anytime over whatever. I sell new developments. I sell it well. I love doing it. It's for somebody. It's certainly not for everybody. Why, in all of your opinion, because you all deal with as many buyers as I do and sellers, does pre-war hold more value in some cases, not in all cases. In some cases, it holds more value than some of these glass towers. That can become old in two years. Lisa, you do lots. Go. I've always been a big believer in pre-war. Um, you know, I became a real estate broker, I always like to say, because I moved into Ansonia 24 <laughs> years ago. 23 years ago. 23 years ago, I was still a lawyer. And um, my ex-husband and I were looking for an apartment. I only wanted pre-war because we had lived in post-war um, co-ops and rentals. 
And I walked into the Ansonia and I said, we have to buy here. And he said, no, we're not buying here. It's a crazy building. We were moving from the east side. Everybody thought we were nuts moving to the west side to the Ansonia. And I said, look at the architecture. It's always going to be a valuable building. It's got to be. So anyway, we bought an apartment there. I wasn't a broker. Then I became a broker. And the rest is history. Everybody knows, obviously, that building went up way in value. When we bought there in 96, people thought we were crazy. And when we moved out in 2002, people asked me how we could afford to live there. So that wasn't a long time. It was six years. I mean, basically, it's all about supply and demand, right? So we can't recreate the beautiful pre-war apartments like the Ansonia, like the Apthorpe, like the Belnord. And then a lot of the great pre-wars, like you mentioned, the San Remo and the Dakota, are are in spaces where we can't build more. They're on the parks, right? So we have limited amounts. We can always build another high-rise on a side street, Away from a park, we're always going to be able to build more. So, the, but there, in, there lie, it, uh, lies your value, right? You're on the park, you're on the river, old. or you have very unique architecture. I mean, you know, I also point to buildings like the Apthorpe or the Belnord, you know, that have beautiful courtyards. We don't build buildings like that. We don't. I mean, I'm the I I represent the sponsor at the Apthorpe, and every time I show an apartment there. I feel like this is why I love my job. I'm just mm-hmm. amazed by the detail and the proportion that will never, ever, I mean, you can go to the most beautiful new building in Manhattan, you can go to 15 Central Park West, and you never have that level of detail um, or architectural interest. No. And so, you know, it's, again, supply and demand. We can't make more of it, so it's always going to be valuable. And these, and these trophy buildings, I mean, they get old. After a while, they get old. Me not in age, but they just get old, the, the, the trophiness, or whatever you want to call it, it's kind of like passe. It just well, except, I would say, 15 Central Park West, again, a location play, well, and, the, and, yeah. and the lifestyle the, yeah. um, component that, that it, it it's not the shiny new penny, but it is... It but, is but built like a pre-war timeless. back in the day. <laughs> but it it is timeless. Timeless. Right. I think, sure. I think right. to Lisa's that's point... The best example of new... Um, construction that you can find. And even that Absolutely. doesn't compare to uh, the architecture of something like the Apthorpe or the Belnord, no. but you do have the location. Right. Do have the location. Right. And I think to Lisa's point of just value, like things that stand the test of time, you know, I hate to say it, but as great as 5600 is, I just don't know if it's going to stand the test of time. The, the, the level of building has changed so much. I mean, to I'll be a millennial for a second and compare it to something that most people will understand. Yeah, I just started watching the, the I just started watching the Kaminsky method with um on <laughs> on on Netflix really great show if you need a new one um with Michael Douglas and and it's all there's I a can't scene. Wait to check it out. It's so it, it, this is horrible. But it, <laughs> there's a scene where they're looking at caskets, and the guy who works at the funeral parlor is talking about how new caskets are just not made the same as these older caskets <laughs> used to be. Well, they and, up, and all right. so, they're but, but to the go. point of, I'm drawing like, a long <laughs> conclusion. So, so the point, they're just you know these buildings like the San Remo, you know, like the Apthorpe, you know, they're built so sturdy. They're the walls are so thick. The finishes are so. The product is so good, and the the newer product like fifty six hundred just doesn't have that, which is why the building has issues. Um, then again, one hundred eight Leonard is amazing, like gorgeous, but it's so different. But let me ask you all something. So when buyers are out there, and I know Matt, you do a lot of new stuff, but but when buyers are out there, are they actually seeking value? Are they thinking about tomorrow, meaning down the road, a piece where if and when they decide to sell or leave it to their children, whatever. Does value come into, not the value of just today what I can buy it for, but value long term? So do they think about an old pre-war building that you guys are talking about versus a brand new building somewhere else I, on a side street? Do they know, put that into their mind in that in their formula well, at all? Well, I, I think also part of our responsibility in educating our clients is providing that diversity and, yeah. and complementing the difference through things that they will instinctively feel but they not they they may not actually connect the dots that those nine those 10 three ceilings are why you're enjoying the volume of this room whereas you know the glass you know the glass curtain buildings that have all these amenities you know it's it's yin and yang and that's part of figuring out what makes somebody tick I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw some other thoughts in here as well I agree with every, what everyone said, but also the idea that in a in a cooperative building, you're going to know who your neighbors are. I live in a building that does not allow pied-a-tiers. It doesn't allow subletting. And some, people, some people may think of that as a negative. This is my home I go to every day. I think it's a very positive. I know my neighbors, my neighbors who are who they are. 
They have as much of a vested interest to make sure my the building I live in has the standards that I want to have as they have, not some investor who's who's, who's cycling through rental tenants in, in the apartment. And no support. Airbnb then, I guess? No Airbnb. No. I mean, you know, none, none of that in the building. But the second part, too, is, is you, you know, this is going away a little bit from as an owner, not necessarily as a buyer coming in with, with looking at the shiny penny. You know, cooperative buildings, by their nature, have underlying mortgages. And that's a great vehicle, buildings able to borrow and pay down that mortgage over time when buildings have to do capital improvements to the building. Like how does a condominium pay for these capital improvements? Basically by assessments. There is, there, there, is a, there is a way for them to do a mortgage. It's very complicated. So for the vast majority of them, it's through assessments. And when you're talking about things like roofs and elevators and windows to a building, which are huge capital projects, why am I as an owner who may only live there for two years paying for you know, a, a half a million or a million dollar new boiler system to the building when I'm going to be moving out very quickly and I'm not going to have the benefit of that? Additionally, will the building one my, my neighbors want to do an assessment to maybe maintain the hallways or to you know to redo the garden or put a roof deck on and to do things like that to the building. So the economics of owning a cooperative have a, both from in terms of who your neighbors are and from funding capital projects to the building, there are some benefits for a cooperative. And, and it's not a question of you know one is better than the other. They're both in our marketplace. They're different people for different types of buildings. Absolutely, and and, and a lot of foreign buyers because they can't get into co-ops, correct, <clears throat> will migrate more towards a co-op, a condo. And that's why the co-op boards are more strict, I guess, than than other buildings, because they don't allow subleasing. They don't want, you know, transient in and out. They want it to be everyone's home. Matt, you want to say and something? Louis said educating. Like, I, I personally feel that, you know, there's never been a more fun time to educate a buyer or oh, a client absolutely. because, you know, Clients aren't the way they used to be where they would say, I just want to be on the Upper West Side or I just want to be between 65th and 70th. Now they're so, you know, they're not as location focused so much. You know, they, they're open to three different neighborhoods. So why not show them different buildings within all the different neighborhoods? I have a client who were in contract for two apartments that he's going to combine at one Manhattan Square. And I, not my personal taste, um, I kind of feel like it's like a Hong Kong building. But at the same time, you know, we looked at an apartment at 100 Barclay and what a difference, even though, you know, vicinity wise, they're not super, super close. They are still both very much downtown. And he was able to see something that is a pre-war conversion as opposed to something that is ground up glass, new development. So it's really fun to be able to educate buyers that way. All right, moving on. With home prices remaining flat and buyer demand still strong, some sellers may be tempted to try and sell their home on their own. We all, as brokers, cringe when we hear that that's something they are thinking about. Real estate agents are trained and experienced in negotiation, and in most cases, the seller is not. Sellers must realize that uh, their ability to negotiate will determine whether or not they get the best deal for themselves and their families. The percentage of sellers who have hired real estate agents to sell their homes has increased steadily over the last 20 years, but yet there are still people who say, I can do it on my own, especially condos because they don't have to worry about a co-op board. But yet I've had co-op owners try on their own and then call and say, help, because they have a board turned down, they have all kinds of crisis, whatever. Why should anyone in this particular marketplace, I mean, a house in the suburbs, maybe you can have some, you know, uh, semblance of, of, of success, but why in an urban center like New York City, where we have, Louis said it before, it's not easy to, to, to own in New York City. Why would anybody want to take this on, especially busy professionals who go to work every day? Want to save money. Time? I mean, that's, that's the initial thought is oh, I want to save yes. money. That, I'm right. saying that's I mean, what, you know. But in actuality, of course, we know they're probably not going to save money. They're probably going to lose money because it's not just about the 6% or the 5%. It's about what price you finally wind up with. A, a broker is going to be able to negotiate a much higher price, I believe, by not just negotiation skills, but also by putting it on the market, getting maximum exposure, marketing, et cetera. So there's a, a lot, you know, and one thing I want to say is whenever someone asks me that question, like, should I sell it on my own? Because often we may meet with a FISBO, we may meet with someone who's considering selling it on their own, but they also are considering a broker. And I always say, look, whether you use me or not, please use an agent. I mean, I, I and just by making that point, I, I usually, I kind of disarm the situation a little bit. Like I'm letting them know, like, this isn't about me getting my commission. It's about like, please do the right thing. And then I give them reasons why they should do that. And I always say, even my brother, when he recently asked me, I said, use an agent. Don't do it on your own, you know? And that, it's, it's sort of like, are you going to represent yourself if you're um, uh, a, a, an attorney? Or are you going to 
you know, I've got, I'll take care of my child. I'm going to operate on him myself. I mean, it's just that distance is necessary. To be honest, though, uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, to operate on somebody takes 10 to 12 years of schooling. To be an attorney takes an ex- like six. To be a real estate broker takes 70 hours. And so the perception of, of who we are and what we do is, is, is negative necessarily in terms of how intelligent we are. And people think we're not the brightest people, and so they think they can do it themselves. And it's up to us to actually educate them. And that takes a long time to do. As, as someone who's been doing this for almost 40 years, I will tell you that this is a very complicated business. It is, there's a lot of nuance and that, yes, it's very, the bar of entry into the, into the business is low. The bar of, for success in this business is very high. And everyone at this table has been multiple deals, been involved in a lot of transactions and you've done that and you've learned along the way. You're not going to learn that in your first transaction. You're not going to learn that on your second. You're maybe not even learning into your, into your 50th or 100th transaction. It takes time. It takes a, it takes the accumulation of knowledge. It's going to take having the resources to reach out to other people within the within the community, whether they're attorneys, managing agents, accountants, to get information you may need to help your seller through periods of the time. When the, when things go very smoothly, there's not a lot we need to do. However, most of us know there are bumps along the transaction. We also know that if you want to make a transaction go smoothly from A to Z, you have to manage that process starting at A. Because if you you're starting to, if the things don't, if you're not ending up at the Z at the end of the day, when you're at Y, you're you know you're 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 not in the right place. You have to manage that from the very beginning. All right, we have I, to take a break. Well, Leave it there. We're heading to segment four on the other Sorry. side of this break. We will be at, be back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We are back with this illustrious panel for segment four, which is our last for the morning. More than 200 people from neighborhoods across the city took to the steps of City Hall over last weekend to demonstrate against an administration that... Uh, they argue, has been beholden to real estate interests. Protesters came with a long and diverse list of projects that had uh, drawn ire. Chinatown residents opposed a plan to build a new jail at 80 Center Street, for example. Upper Eastsiders 
said that they are tired of super super tall residential towers in their neighborhood on the Upper East Side. Uh, and a third group argued that excess number of bars are impairing New Yorkers' quality of life, renovating of bars and, and, and new restaurants and whatever. So, listen, listen, the thought is that large projects disrupt communities. I mean, we can say, yes, it's true, and we can say, no, it's not true. We can say it's progress. What says all of you? I mean, because we have been disrupted by, you know, tall skyscrapers being built in, in, in all neighborhoods in, in this town and some minor construction. Listen, I'm living in this town more years than I can even remember or want to say on the air. However, every time you turn around, there's something going on somewhere, a street, a building, a scaffolding. I've never seen a clean non-construction zone in Manhattan Ever well, with anywhere. Local 11, it's going to happen regardless. You know, Correct. there's always going to be scaffolding, right. and you know, I could I could hear where people are coming from, where it might hurt a neighborhood or break up a community. But at the end of the day, it is New York City. You know, these things are are common. They're going to happen over and over and over again. You're not going to be able to get away with it. It's just how you learn to deal with it. When we're in the ground, there's still going to be rumbling on the streets of Manhattan, right? I mean, that's just what goes on here. And again, it's it's progress. Where would we be after all I of think these years? I think it depends happen? upon the neighborhood. I mean, I live in Greenwich Village. The last thing I want to see is big buildings being built oh, in the that, center of Greenwich Village. And the city basically is is is, is upzoned in the area of sort of east of, in the eastern part of Central Village along Fourth Avenue that was that was fought by GVSHP. I did I agreed with GVSHP. We shouldn't have it there. There should be zones in the city, Hudson Yards, Long Island City, places where you can get big buildings and so forth and that sort of density. The flip side is in the, in the, in the neighborhoods that are green and leafy with, with smaller buildings, I think there should be some limits to what you could build there as well because there's a quality of life in those neighborhoods that you want to maintain. I think that there needs to be some limitations. I'm not. I, I agree that it has something to do with neighborhood, but I also think that you can't just make it all about neighborhood because that's sort of unfair. I mean, I, I actually think that things have gone a little crazy on 57th Street. I think it's not really fair to a lot of the the businesses in other buildings in that neighborhood that it's going to be all tall and all dark. It's going to look like Wall Street. I do think that we need to put more limitation. It's not just because there's constant building. But I also think that eventually the city could be overcrowded. If we fill all of the units that are going up, we will be an overcrowded city. The other side of it is we won't fill all the units going up, and that's a problem. I would love to see the government actually get more involved, not only with that, but more involved in giving incentives to commercial street-level owners um, to make sure that they rent out their spaces in terms of either you incentivize or you um, punish them for not renting, leaving their spaces unrented and just taking them as losses. Because I actually think the worst thing that's happening in New York right now is not the overbuilding of tall buildings, but the fact that neighborhoods are getting depleted of all of their retail space. I mean, that's really, to me, that's a very big controversial topic on this program. Mom and pops are gone. Uh, Older buildings where they resided, you know, you get thrown down, a big skyscraper goes up. You sometimes have retail on the the first floor, sometimes you don't. So I agree with you, Lisa, that it's become a major problem. I'd rather see that get fixed and restored than fight about some of these larger buildings going up because it's going to happen anyway. And and if you've ever interacted with an owner of a commercial spot and them, the, the lack of incentive for them to be able to take a tenant because of the tax opportunities and opportunistic uh, circumstances, it really is a disservice to the incentive of allowing just a person to have a good business operating in your building. I agree. And then I think another, you know, this is a topic that could go either way because obviously, you know, there are a lot of buildings like to Jordan's, um, you know, business, the Steiner and the East Village, it's a lot of great for the neighborhood. There are a lot of buildings that, you know, get built and they they do great things for neighborhoods. But these days, it's much more about building, you know, how big can you go? How much can you sell? And at what price? And that's not good for neighborhoods. It's not, um, you, you know, three developers I'm working with asked me my opinion on this, this specific topic like two months ago. And I said right to their face, I was like, there should be a lot more restrictions that the city puts on building because you don't want, you know, I love Ariel West and East on the Upper West Side. I think it's a really cool building. Um, but it's, you know, I remember when it was being built, I was like, whoa, was that's, it's, it's so, day, yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's the only thing there that, that that looks like it, and that's very very that's very tall and whatnot. Um, you know, I'm not against it. I well, think it's a great a building, but West Side, due to those building, 
But Lisa's correct, though, because I think it's more of, you know, if we fill all these buildings that you're talking about, the problem becomes infrastructure. How do you deal with all these additional people in the city? Where is all the retail, in, you know, in the neighborhoods now that have thousands of I mean, more people? Right? The, That's the, the subways, they're addressing some of that. But I That's also just want to remind you, everybody talks about these skyscrapers, et cetera, and, and, and inventory being built. But the, if the reality of New York City real estate that is available to be bought, it is only 38%. We are a city of renters. So I, I just think that... No, I love when you make this point because people I, forget I, that. I think that if we look at the climbing of, of population, we're going to be passing through 9 million people and that's going to happen before 2020, mark my words. I meant to ask you the last time you were we were on and, and you mentioned that that percentage. How much of that is free market rent? Like, 6%, which is wow. why the investor concentration that the news wants to latch on to don't understand the subtlety of what New York City's market really is about. Very true. And on that note. <laughs> I rest my case. My drop. <laughs> With three minutes left to the program, here's a good one. You hear that your New York City co-op that you've loved and adored and you've been living there for years is potentially entering a foreclosure status. What do you do? You're a shareholder, not an owner per se. You're a shareholder <laughs> in the corporation. Now you're going to potentially foreclose on the building. They don't have this happen to them or I, any clients. I've negotiated an over a uh, too high of a mortgage and a higher concentration from a sponsor at 30 West 90th Street in the 90s to buy down the mortgage and uh, become a condominium, and it saved them. Well, that that that's one way of of looking at it for sure. Richard, you've had co-op board experience. What are you doing? Uh, I've, I've, and, like, and, and I've converted over forty buildings around, to right. from rental to either cooperative or condominium. Um, you don't. I actually don't know of any building that's actually been foreclosed on as a cooperative. The reason why you don't have buildings foreclosed as a cooperative is that the buildings rent roll will go back to the last rent stabilized rent that the building had. So if you have a building that's been in co-op for thirty years, you're going back to the rent of thirty years ago on the building. So there's a huge incentive. There's a huge incentive for the whoever has the debt on the building to work something out. So I actually have never heard of that. Uh, there was one case of a building it happening, and I think it was where it actually happened in the city. This was back I think in the 70s or the 80 early 80s uh, on East uh, 61st between Lex and Park. It was a small building. That's the only time I've ever heard of it. Richard, if that happens and you're an owner in the co-op, your value goes to zero. Correct. Value goes to zero. You guys, guys, we, I, I'm sorry, but we're completely out of time. Uh, Bad timing over here. That's the show for today. Thanks to my guest, Richard and um, Lisa. As always, shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.